What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to this week's episode of Armchair Producers, episode 123. I am one of your hosts, George Terran, the man who is persistently um, shat upon by insurance companies, apparently, <laughs> or at least fucked around with them. And I am joined, as always, with the man, the myth, the legend, the one who I will have to carry this week because the talent is not feeling well, Mr. Travis Croft. Uh, g'day. Uh, I am fine and dandy, other than, you know, um, dealing with medical professionals who don't seem to understand the nature of their job. Um, mm. But um, I, I don't think you're special. I'm sorry. And getting, getting fucked over by insurance companies, I think that's a, a national pastime. That's true. That's fair. But at the same time, today I had to, you know, because they got their dates wrong, I have to reorganize everything for another week. And I was sitting in a moldy house for two hours. Well, that's always fun. That, that is less yeah. of a national pastime I'll pay. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this is episode 123. And I threw Travis a, a twist after going off the air yesterday um, because... I had actually picked a different movie for our chain movie, not Mission to Mars. So anyone who's watching along, I'm sorry, you watched a movie for no reason. I actually wanted to watch Code 46. Um, but uh, we've got a couple of things to talk about today. Obviously, Code 46 is our chain movie of the week. Um, Travis has watched episode one and two of What If? So we'll share our thoughts on that. Um I've got um, some early thoughts on nothing that I've finished yet. Uh, Ronin Kenshi, the beginning on Netflix, as well as a relatively new game that's come out. Um, a physical copy of the game has recently released called Spiritfarer, which is on all major consoles, I think. Might not be on Xbox at the moment, but um, that's, that's my stuff. Travis has also watched uh, Gunpowder Milkshake, and what was the other one that you watched? Wild Tales. Wild Tales. This is a, an Argentinian-Spanish no. thing that Pedro Amolva was involved in. So. Okay. So your um, fascination with that part of the world cinema continues. It is. Um, it has been an interesting deep dive, I'll pay. It's, um, uh-huh. it's a lot of talent and a lot of good films come out of that part of the world that just don't seem to be getting a run. Well, yeah you know, um, in, in Australia or on any of the streaming services. Because, yet again, it was a very, very, very difficult film to track down. Hmm. Are you not coming online? That's interesting. Are we having technical difficulties? Don't quite know. We are, yeah. It doesn't seem to be... There we go. That's better. Sending data, sending data. Do, 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 do. We're online on Twitch. That's good. Um, so, hi, everyone on Twitch. Uh, still sorting things out on the other channels. Come on. Let's just close that one down. I'm having really slow internet at the moment, so my apologies, but this will probably only be going live on Twitch at the moment. For most of the uh, uh, cool people are anyway. That's where the cool kids are, yeah. As far as I'm aware, at least. That's what that's what the cool cats do say. Should we get straight on into our chain movie? 
What inspired you about Code 46 to pick it, considering you were very naughty and Pick decided to change his mind after the show had finished? I, I apologise to all those people I that who watch me in their mouths. Sorry? <laughs> I, I am a rapscallion, that's why. Um, I, I think there should be a punishment involved here, because anyone you, anyone who actually will listen to the show and then and listen and, and out and watch Mission to Mars, you know they, they have a, a rightful claim against the show. I think. Uh, very well. What is my what is my punishment? For I, haven't, changing... I, haven't decide, I haven't decided yet. I that we will, I will make up my own mind time. But um, you know you, you can't be you can't be changing your mind after you go off the air without there being repercussions. That said, you probably chose a better you, you probably chose a better film. <laughs> yes, but the reason why I wanted to go to um, Code Forty Six and not Mission to Mars, while I have not seen Mission to Mars, um, I do recall watching Code Forty Six when it first came out. It was one of the one of the movie releases that came out the year that I ended up watching one hundred and sixty two movies at the cinema. Um, I do miss my unlimited pass. That was such a good thing. Um, but it was one of those ones that I watched and um, I was still at that point in time, I was very much a huge fan of um, Shawshank Redemption and Tim Robbins and Samantha Morton had recently, I think she'd recently just um, appeared kind of out of the blue as one of the, um, one of the psychics in um, the Tom Cruise movie Minority Report. I think that was a couple so, years after this. Oh, really? Oh, okay. No, no, tell, no, I'm wrong. no, you're right. It was a year before, so I'm, I'm wrong. There we go. Yeah. Um, and it was directed by Michael Winterbottom, who was a bit of a indie darling, especially as a British director. Um, so it was, and then it being a sci-fi movie, and I remember watching it, but I don't actually remember the movie. So it was a great opportunity for me to go back to one of those movies that was in this year of obsessive cinema and actually get to revisit it with a, a, a slightly clearer mind. So that's why I chose it. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, I, I, I had seen this film mm. before as well, but like mm. you, I could remember nothing about it. Mm. Um, and having now watched it again this week, I think I understand why. Because there's not very yeah. much to it. No, there's not very much to it. Um, there's a lot of kind of nuanced subtlety to it um, of setting everything up. But before we go too far, we'll do the synopsis. A futuristic brief encounter from 1945. This is a love story in which the romance is doomed by genetic incompatibility. Um, I kind of get that uh, brief encounters simile sort of it is set in a brave new world type near future which is the second the second reviewers uh, or person thing this one actually makes more sense here we go this movie is a love story set in a brave new world type near future where cities are heavily controlled and accessible only through checkpoints people cannot travel unless they have papels papers in spanish um, words and sentences in many languages including spanish French and Chinese are mixed with English in this new world. A special travel permit issued by the totalitarian government, the Sphinx, 
outside those cities, the govern the desert has taken over and shanty towns are jammed with non-citizens, people without IDs forced to live primitive lives. William Geld, Tim Robbins' character, is a family man who works as a government investigator. When he is sent to Shanghai to solve a, a case of fake IDs, he meets a woman named Maria Gonzalez, Samantha Morton. Uh, he cannot help but fall completely in love with her. He hides her crime and they have a wild, passionate affair that can last only as long as his visit, uh, visa, 24 hours. Back home, William is obsessed with the memory of Maria. When the original investigation is inevitably reopened a week later, William is sent back to finish the work he started. He tracks her down only, only to discover she has been accused of a Code 46 violation and any further relation is therefore impossible. Um, I think that's actually possibly the best synopsis that we've read out of all of them. Mm. <laughs> um, it's, um, I like the aesthetic. And it's, it's, it's shot in... Um, are you having a delay at your end? No. Okay. Um, no, I uh, as I say, I like the aesthetic of this film. It's shot in Shanghai, uh, amongst other places, mm. including Dubai. Um, but it's interesting mm. how when you see pictures of Shanghai, even from 20 years ago, it looks like the future. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of that persistently futuristic location. Um, it makes sense why it is quite frequently used in so many movies to elicit that idea of the futurescape cityscape. You know, it's, it's not kind of, this is a realistic idea of the future versus something like the Jetsons where it's all crazy, you know, Seattle's kind of skyline kind of weirdness. <laughs> this is a living, breathing um, city that it takes a lot of the similar, similar ideologies of that kind of unification of languages that was teased in Firefly, for example, and really brings it into the everyday, the fact that words just pop in and out and, the fact that it is literally a multicultural language with um, Mandarin, with uh, kind of Latin languages and the English languages, it's, it really um, tries to elicit a, a society where the norms of conversation suggest what world they live in because you don't really get much of an experience of what the world at large is like in this movie. It is for its scope and the fact that um, William Geld goes from New York to the other side of the world, you don't really get a sense of the world beyond the... It's almost a little bit like a twisted, lost in translation kind of thing. I can see a similar similarity there. Um, I do enjoy the languages as well. Um, mm. but it clicked in fairly naturally. Um, there were also some mm. other very interesting ideas at play. But I like the idea that the uh, totalitarian government has decided to brand itself. I mean, the sinks. I mean, like, you know, like, there's an idea totalitarians are well, give yourself a nice brand, uh, and you know, <laughs> people will love you. Then they, they got the uh, Michael Winterbottom and co seem to have got the idea, um, 16, 13 years before Trump came in and decided to do the same thing and brand, uh, brand himself, <laughs> brand his dictatorship. Um, uh, but there is definitely a, a weird thing about it is that everything about this is deeply understated. 
It's very, it's a very quiet, yeah, film. It's a very somber, slow. Um, and I don't mean slow in a bad way. Um, meandering mm. sort of a story, right? It doesn't move along at any particular clip, or it doesn't seem to worry itself about things like action set pieces or excitement um, or anything of that nature. It just sort of yeah. moves along very gradually, like a babbling brook almost of a film. It's sort of a very languid pace of a story. Yeah, it's um, and it's it's very dour. There's, there's not even the, the intimate moments of um, uh, Maria and William. It all still seems very much doomed from the onset. Every, everything about it, there's this kind of always feels like it's a glass ceiling. Um, even before William and Maria meet, the narration that Samantha Morton does over the top of it from beginning to end there's always this somber nature to it. Um, but I think it's really informative and compelling to uh, addition to the story. Um, Tim Robbins is, is good in this, um, as is Samantha Morton. Um, did you ever get a, a sort of a, almost a uh, Dark City kind of vibe at times from a film as well, despite the fact that it doesn't really have that similar fantasy sci-fi angle mm. but so the, the 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 use of dreams of as you know metaphors and for moving the story along and i guess also the train thing and she dreams of a train every night kind of reminded me a little bit of, mm. of, of dark city you're waiting for a train <laughs> um there's what i think is um really particularly good about this and i think um the, th the thing that really elicited a lot of inf um, memory for me was this feels like a movie of Black Mirror where it's taking those kind of buzzword technology things of cloning and um, viruses and things like that and just instilling them into everyday conversation. Like it, William is infected with an empathy virus that allows him to essentially read someone's mind as long as they willingly give him some information which is a really cool concept particularly potent power for someone who's investigating insurance claims mm. that was one of the interesting ideas i liked about it internet um, connections oh it should be should be back on now um as i say that was an interesting idea um i, I like that and it's, you know it's mm. interesting to sort of see even today, but um, they're finding some interesting new ideas and ways of using viruses in, in ways that you wouldn't really mm. see. You know, 20 years ago, you would have gone, oh, what the fuck, that science fiction. For example, one of the uh, COVID vaccines that they were working on here in Australia at one point in time was um, involved a, um, a repurposed HIV virus. That's right, yeah. It's amazing what they use as the victims for some of these things. Um, it, uh, it, it especially the... no go on um to so say the cast is, is is pretty pretty nondescript other than that you only have a moderately interesting person you've seen here is um benedict wong a very early role for him yeah yeah very young man <laughs> um but yeah beyond that i don't think there's really anyone of particular note in this um 
There is uh, Nina Sasania, uh, who has definitely been a... Oh, I've lost Travis. No, I'm here. I just turned my video off, and hopefully that'll improve oh. your internet. Oh, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, she um, she was in Nathan Barley, Love Actually. She's been in a lot of stuff throughout the course of here. She's never really done anything particularly big. I think maybe her biggest thing was she was in Good Omens and she was in the TV series of The Dark Crystal. Those are possibly her biggest or most well-known things that she's done. Um, two, um, I know her from Teachers. So there are two weird cameos in here as well. We've got Nick Jones in a bizarre karaoke um, scene. If you don't know who Nick Jones is, um, just, you know, take your right hand and whack yourself upside the face because everyone should know who Mick Jones is. Of course, he's the guitarist, uh, songwriter of The uh, Clash. Um, okay. I'm myself. <laughs> how do you not know who Mick Jones is? Oh my god, you're from England. Music. He was in Big Audio Dynamite as well. Racist, Go and stand in the corner. <laughs> you are a an affront to all things British. Like, seriously, Mick Jones. Yes. Anyway, I'm um, proud he, of he was singing he <laughs> one of his more better known songs, Should I Stay or Should I Go? But I in a very mm -hmm. weird cameo in a karaoke bar. I'm like, I've got no idea what was up with that, but I'm like, he was there. Um and the other one was Natalie Mendoza. Who's Natalie Mendoza? Natalie Mendoza. Huh? Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, your, your, I know your the name. Your video is completely frozen at my end. So, um, oh, sorry. Um, that's just sort of sure if we're still on the air or not. Um, Natalie Mendoza was uh, probably notably she was the lead in. Uh, she played Juno, I think it was in The Descent. Which oh is, shit yeah that's right. Um, what possibly are in my opinion the great, the best horror film made in the last thirty years. Um, it's such a good movie. If you haven't seen it, do not see the sequel. Just don't do it. No, no. Sequel, um, no need. Um, but she is out fucking standing. In, you know, I have no idea why her career didn't take off after that because that film is so good. Um, but it didn't. Uh, and she was also notably, yeah, very briefly, in an Australian all-girl pop group called uh, Jackson Mendoza, um, which is, um, yeah, I... I'm probably the only person in the world who remembers that. <laughs> That's just really weird. Oh, we seem to be... Yeah, we're probably just going to be having to um, post this later on because it looks like I'm having terrible, terrible, terrible internet today. Not that great here in South Bank either, to be entirely honest. I wonder if uh, someone's, you know, um, someone's hmm. going to wind up a rubber band on the NBN last tonight, you know. Um, <laughs> we will throttle you. If we're lucky, it's like this over bloody time. Maybe it's just my response in the background just being, just like going, I will suck up all of the knowledge, all of that power. So I've just turned that off. Hopefully it'll solve things. Um, but, say, uh, yeah, so what, what were your overall thoughts of this movie, Trav? I liked it. I just think it could have been a bit more. Um, it uh, it had a lot of interesting ideas and concepts. Um, and, you know, the idea of, you know, I mean, basic central plot being uh, that Sam Manford Morton is a clone of his mother uh, in, in a world full of clones. This is a very fascinating idea that, you know, you would have to mm. 
you know, be careful not to be um, reproducing with someone who you are potentially genetically related to. Um, yeah. So it, it just explores some fascinating ideas in there. And as I said, it looks beautiful. Like, it looks incredible. Um, the, the shooting yeah. uh, locations and stuff are fantastic. It doesn't need a lot in terms of special effects. It's not that kind of sci-fi film. Um, so yeah. it just doesn't ever really bring it together in a way that I find particularly satisfying. Uh, I don't find the, the the romance between William and Maria particularly convincing at any point in time. I mean, it just sort of happens. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really it seems to happen because the script needs it to happen. I never really felt like these two people were genuinely in love. Um, mm. And yeah, and that, that's kind of a central, you know, core of a film. If you don't, if I don't believe that in their love story, then it's not a lot of the rest of the stuff's going to hold up. Um, yeah. And unfortunately that was possibly one of the weaker points of a film was that love story. And we didn't really get a, a lot of explanation about how that happened. It just sort of, like I said, it just happens because the plot needs it to happen. Um, I, mm. I liked it. Um, I, it was, it was enough to keep my interest, um, but it was imperfect or a long way, probably further mm. from perfect. When got, everything's imperfect, but it was further from perfect than it probably could have been in the hands of a more talented director than Michael Winterbottom. I I generally agree with you, and I feel like um, overall the the story tries to do to tell um, interesting kind of social things just by proxy, um, and it kind of meanders a bit in some unusual ways, like the after they've when William comes back. Um, for the second time, he learns the, about this Code 46 violation and he finds um, Maria and he knows that she has had a virus injected into her which essentially stimulates her fight-or-flight impulse if she um, goes into sexual encounter with uh, the person responsible for the Code 46 violation. And that's an interesting idea, but it's an odd one that isn't fully fleshed out to the point. And it gets and it gets a, a kind of an uncomfortable sex scene as well, don't you think? Where she's kind of telling him, "No, I want to. I want you to make love to me," and and they end up having to literally strap her down to the bed, and it's just uncomfortable. And it's like, okay, I found I everything about their romance was uncomfortable. The sex scenes, the they just had mm. no chemistry together to the two stars. It just everything about their romance didn't work for me. You know, yeah. Again, an interesting idea, but I don't know if I got the wrong actors. They didn't like each other. I just didn't buy anything about mm. their romance. Yeah, it just it just felt off. Um, and you never even kind of really. <laughs> it doesn't really leave anything in this good guys, bad guys scenario because everything that we are presented with, like William is um, tracking down these fake IDs because, oh, there's a reason why people get denied IDs and we see the cause and effect of that with one of the people that he meets when he's with Maria who within the week that he's back in the US travels to 
think it's Africa, and it contracts a virus and dies. And it's like, okay, well, yep, there was a good reason for that. And then throughout the rest of it, it's like, okay, it seems like they're just trying to stop this genetic Oedipus scenario from happening. So the the Sphinx never seems to actually be this malevolent um, uh, totalitarian government. It just genuinely seems like they've actually got the best interests at heart. They're just maybe not very good with their PR. It, it just all kind of doesn't finish well. No, you're fair. Like they don't come across. They don't have a great deal of menace for a uh, for a overwhelmingly, yeah. you know, evil, dystopian overlord. Other than the fact that you know they obviously you know they keep people as non-citizens and they're so tight with their insurance and stuff. And I'm like, that's not yeah. a world away from reality. Just try and see, try, <laughs> you know, like uh, if you're an anti-vaxxer, you're fucked. You are fucked, and I would like you to turn our show off and never download it again, by the way. Um, but uh, yeah. you should try and travel. Try and travel next year, right? Let's say, or even now, right? You try and, you can travel, unlike our fucking incompetent leaders, some people overseas have accepted enough of their citizens to allow them to travel. Try and travel anywhere in the world that will allow travel right now yeah. and try and do that without a current COVID test. You're fucked. You can't do it. Um, so, you know, the little things, the yeah. papels, the papels, um, you know, you can't get in without yeah. insurance and that kind of thing. It's not a world away from reality, which is good sci-fi. No, it's really not. Yeah, it's really um, not. And that does that does lend a little bit of authenticity to the to the world, I think. But it's still not. It's not fully formed enough to to do it. Like I don't understand the why it would be such a problem for. William's character where he stays over his 24 hours. It's like, okay, he was sent there for legitimate purposes. Why would the insurance company that he works for, which is the government insurance company, why wouldn't they just go, okay, we'll issue a new thing. He instantly goes into panic mode and tries to get an illegal one. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's, it, I was thinking the same thing. Why don't you just get an extension? Surely, very, surely that's a thing. You know, it, really- and then it's even offered later on. He's talking with his boss, and she says, "You need to go to this office, and we'll, and we'll send you home." That didn't seem that bad or scary. It just didn't quite land. It didn't quite stick for land. Mm. There was a lot of good ideas floating around, but no one ever kind of formed it that clay into mm. into you know a, a Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze shaped you know ghost ball. You know. It's, it, um, <laughs> Take my visa away. <laughs> it, uh, it, it was an interesting. I'm glad it was certainly a better choice than Mission to Mars, having seen. Bobby. Yes, fair enough, fair enough. So there you go. I narrowly avoided, and we will wait for next week to find out what punishment I will be getting for that little hiccup. But hiccups are rarely choices. <laughs> I I made a mistake. I'm human. Well, that's that's what I tell the government anyway. Shall we talk about um, what if? No. Not yeah, because I got to tell you where we're going next week. Oh, that's right. Of course, I'm jumping the gun. Jumping the gun. Jeez, uh, the for, fortunately, I am prepared this week. I spent I had a mm-hmm. two-hour very boring meeting today at work. Uh, which point <laughs> I spent probably two thirds of it, you know, carefully 
dissecting the resumes of the people who were involved in this film. And while it was very mm-hmm. tempting to go for something like The Descent, because I love that film, um, mm-hmm. it, it would it would do two things. One, there would be very few ways out of that film for you because there was no one famous in it apart from Neil Marshall, and most of his other films kind of blow, um, except for Dog Soldiers. Um, so it would be a, a difficult mm-hmm. film on the way out of that. And, you know, I've kind of seen it before, not so long ago, you know. Yeah, so, that's fair. But um, I've decided to pick one that's a little bit more interesting. And this one is the uh, one of the very few films that may, in fact, be the only film that Samantha Morton has ever been an executive producer of. Okay. Um, not something she's best known for. Um, hmm. just have a, yes, this is the only film she's ever produced. And it is the 2013 Spike Jones film, Her. Her? Ooh. That's a good movie. It is. I have seen... I think I've seen it, but it's been a long time. I don't remember it um, very well. And I think this leaves you with a plethora of uh, exit doors on the way out. So mm-hmm. Phoenix, Amy Adams, Scarlett Johansson, Rooney Mara, uh, Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, uh, Olivia Wilde, Spike Jones. You know, there's plenty of ways. And, of course, you've got mm-hmm. Spike Jones himself as a director and writer. So... Yeah, I think this is going to be a pretty easy one for me. Well, I, I'm I'm sport for choice, frankly. There's a there's a there's a good selection of stuff in there. Absolutely, um, I don't think you'll have a problem. And you know, it's fairly easy to find, unlike you know, yeah. some of the other films that we have to try and see these days. That is true. That is true. I believe it's streaming in Australia on Stan. Don't know about your overseas <laughs> markets. Yeah, there we go. Okay, so that is perfect. 30 minutes for opening. Should we now go on to What If? Sure. So I've seen the first two episodes, um, and mm-hmm. I think your initial heads up to me was you didn't like episode one. Uh, what Correct. did you think of episode two? Was there an improvement there for you? Um, yes and no. I still don't like the animation style. It still looks cheap and tacky. Um, the voice work, while they are, it is nice that they're bringing back um, the original actors for many of the roles. Um, and it's a fun little send-off for Chadwick Boseman, who sadly passed away now. But they're very obviously not voice actors. And the more heinous crime is that Disney, the animated juggernaut Disney are not getting good voice directors in for this show because two shows down and the voice direction has been bad. It has been bad throughout. Like Jimon Hounsou's character in um, from Guardians of the Galaxy and also in Captain Marvel, he's in this as well. And it's a completely different character, but it's such a weird choice um, of how he's playing it all. And again, I have the problem with disjointed storytelling throughout the whole episode. It was fun, but very disappointing. Um, I disagree with you very strongly in episode two. I think you're very wrong about pretty much everything there except the animation. Um, uh, I... um, Share your opinion, though, very strongly about the animation for best episode one and episode two. Mm. I had this conversation with someone actually who very got very grumpy at me that I said I thought episode one was trash because he fucking mm. loved it. Um, and you know, more power to him. 
Um, but yep. he, he was he thought the animation was stunning. It was just stunning. And I'm like, really? And I'm like, wow. I tell you, like I said, this week in the show, I reviewed um, Weathering with You. Weathering with you. The animated film. And Weathering with you. Yes. Um, and everyone who was anyone who's listening to the show last week will know mm-hmm. that I raved ad nauseum about the uh, animation and how much or how beautiful it was mm-hmm. to look at and what a what a what a feature of the film the animation was. And I said, This, this is animation. It's like, oh well, that's yeah. a TV show, it's an animation, this is a TV show. I'm like, it's a TV show by fucking Disney. By Disney, yeah. for MCU, which is worth what have grossed tens of billions of dollars of their products. And Disney, the, mm-hmm. the you know, fucking trillion dollar company probably by now, almost. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not copying. Well, it's a TV show. How can you expect the same level of animation from a TV show that you could from a Japanese anime? I would not mind betting that one half hour episode of What If has a very similar budget to Weathering With You or uh, Your Name had in, in their actual overall production budget. Wouldn't be surprised one yeah. bit if they had a similar budget. And if they can't, afford it to if that's the best their animation could look like then what the fuck's going on at disney from a budgeting perspective because it looks mm. shit you're right it looks cheap yeah. it looks tacky it looks like it's like a 90 saturday morning cartoon yeah uh, and if that's what it was you go okay but it's not mm. it's it's a nope. it's a you know premium product from <laughs> the the premium studio for their premium brand, pretty much, you're right. So I can see. Well, just done. looking at the movies, the box office taking for all of the MCU movies is probably right now. It's sitting at just uh, uh, just over twenty three billion. Just the movies. Uh, and these shows have to cost a lot less than what an episode of Loki costs, for example. You know, animation. Oh hell yeah! A bit cheaper than it's not cheap, but it's still cheaper than live action. Um, mm-hmm. So, especially last week, I mean, it was maybe less noticeable this week. The Captain Carter episode was, it looked terrible for me. Let me mm-hmm. just, I guess I am providing, you know, they set a high bar and I set a high bar. And as you sort of said, um, it's Disney. And I'm like, yeah, what are they famous for? It's a house of mouse, right? They're famous for animation. It's like, oh, exactly. you're, expe- you're expecting too much of them. You're expecting too much of them. I'm sorry, but my expectations are so high for a multi billion dollar corporation who made their name mm-hmm. doing animation and they've had shit cheap animation like this compared to the, mm-hmm. what DC does with their animation stuff. It's weird. It's the yin and yang, yeah. right? DC can't get their live action right, but their animated stuff is generally pretty good. So yeah. I was very, very disappointed and it put me right aside from the start. Mm. Um, but it looked so cheap. The other part of what was really disappointing about Captain Carter, just to focus on that one for a tick, is they essentially just told the same story of Captain America, except it was Peggy Carter this time. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, obviously, there was the Steve. We're going to have Steve Rogers involved, which again, I didn't think needed to happen. They could have just had Steve Rogers die. Um, yeah. But and that probably would have been probably would have been better for me. Mm-hmm. But it's basically so. If Peggy Carter got the serum instead of Steve Rogers, pretty much everything else plays out almost exactly the same way. Yeah, it's it's not a big. Oh, what if is that's that's not what if that's just gender swap. And again, I don't. Just in case anybody's sort of thinking, oh, you don't ever like stuff with women in it, like. Why we were both really big fans of Hayley Atwell and really mm-hmm. big fans of the Agent Carter TV show. Like, um, mm-hmm. I, I was a big fan of that, and I was so disappointed it didn't come back for a season three. And mm-hmm. I was very excited to see what they were going to do with this, but it just didn't do anything. Episode yeah. two, I thought, was a lot more fun. 
a lot more fun. I didn't have, I wasn't sitting there listening, going, oh, I don't think that's a very nice line for, I didn't notice anything about the voice acting in this one. <laughs> I had fun with it. I thought they were funny. Um, I kind of enjoyed the fact that this time around they changed the story quite a bit. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the simple act of picking up T'Challa instead of Peter Quill um, to, mm-hmm. to basically become Star-Lord changes quite a bit, and you can sort of see the ripples through the story, uh, you know, being quite interesting. Uh, Thanos is a member um, of the gang, uh, and that was very, some very, very funny lines between him and Jimon Huntsman, yes. who was calling him Captain Genocide, and... Um, uh, <laughs> Nebula with a very different look in the cartoon and a very almost filling the role her sister plays in the movies in, in many ways. Oh. Um, uh, I yeah, I um, really really liked the episode a lot more than I did episode one. It was a lot more fun, it was a lot oh. more lighthearted, uh-huh. kind of went to more interesting places. Uh, and of course, it, it wasn't had... just that it was lighthearted either, it did still have heart to it because it was there was a persistent conversation of family and the um innocence and optimism of t'challa from being a child and the first interactions that he has with um um uh yondu uh, he's just like yeah i'm I'm just excited to be i'm i'm an explorer and there's that that wistful optimism and the fact that he managed to completely offside and convert the supreme villain of 10 years worth of MCU with conversation and the way that he T'Challa is portrayed through this, I can fully believe it. It was a wonderful alternative take on, you know, outdoing the Mad Titan. Um I think that one of the things that really makes this work is they captured a lot of that kind of camaraderie and fun that was captured by James Gunn in the Guardians of the Galaxy. He can have more fun with those characters, um, and it was really nice to to kind of and revisit they, that world. They, they almost turned the jokes down a little bit, and it was still kind of funny. Um, mm. I particularly my one of my favorite parts, of course, was the Howard the Duck cameo, um, <laughs> which I think backs up my point from last week for the Howard the Duck series. An animated Howard the Duck series would work. Oh yeah, no, it absolutely would. Um, I believe that it was Seth Green doing the voice of Howard the Duck, but it is not listed on the credits um, in IMDb. Um, I'm yeah. joined Jeffrey Wright as the Watcher. Uh, he adds a nice yes. part to the role. Mm-hmm. Um, now makes me very interested to see how he's going to go as Commissioner Gordon in the Batman. Um, mm-hmm. I think yeah. The more I hear, I mean, you only voice acting in this, but he sounds like a good choice. Mm, I agree. I hope that um, they actually utilize Jeffrey Wright in, for example, Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness. That's where. I, it kind of feels like if they're going to use any of these what if story threads as teases throughout the multiverse of madness, I'd like Jeffrey Wright to be there and just a cool, even just that one scene between Stephen Strange and the Watcher, just have Jeffrey Wright and Benedict Cumberbatch just talking and kind of postulating incredibly expansively about the idea of a multiverse. I think that would be quite cool. It would be nice to bring Jeffrey Wright into the MCU because he's always a solid performer 
and his voice is just sexy silk. <laughs> um, and let's face it, you know, one thing Marvel has shown us they like doing recently is having, you know, characters sit in a room for 10 minutes and have a conversation that doesn't really go anywhere or do anything. As we saw in the last episode of Loki, let's take up a quarter of our runtime of a conversation. Um, yeah. Anyway, but I, I'm enjoy- I thought that was much better. Um, I thought that was much better than the first episode. And um, I guess it, it gives me a little bit more hope um, that the rest of them will be more in the vein of this and not Captain Carter. Mm. But yet again, I think mm. the first two episodes have done, looks like they've used the same animation house mm. for all of them. Um, and I think, yeah. we had, I think we had this chat a few weeks ago when we talked about the trailer, is mm. what a massive opportunity they've missed here to not pull off an animatrix, right? Go out and get nine different animation companies or, or a love, death and yeah. robots type approach, right? Let's get, go and get mm-hmm. nine different people who want to go out and do one of these, you know, um, yeah. and and do do that. And so you have nine different types of story, nine different types of um, animation. I mean, you can still write the fucking stories for them because, you know, you've got to have your Disney brand on the front of it, you know. But, like, you know, here's the story. Do it your way. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and that would be just. I just think it's a, a very missed opportunity, the animation of this, because it is not good quality animation. Um, it does look and feel cheap. And no matter how good the stories become or how beloved the characters are, it's never going to reach those heights if you are being forced to watch half an hour of bad screen image in spite of how good the story is, you might as well have an audio book at that point because you're just turning your, turning your visuals off. Um, but I hope that they continue to get more experimental with the stories because Captain Carter, as we both agree, is very much a gender swap rather than a what if and spiraling into this interesting scenario. Um, T'Challa being Star Lord, that's a cool alternative take. And it, it wasn't just a simple, oh, let's just put T'Challa in space. It actually fed to the characters as well, Yondu getting his idiot friends. And it makes sense because there's the huge amount of the vibranium there. It's like, yeah, if you're going to scan a planet, yeah, that's alien. Why would they go to Nebraska or wherever it was that they pick up Peter Quill? It makes sense. you're right, and it's, again, that's that's exactly what was the main difference between this and Captain Carter. I mean, is that he decided to do what if, and they gave us a what if. They didn't just, you know, retell the mm. same story with a different lead character, and you know, that was super, super lazy. I was very worried we were going to have a very lazy series. And aside from mm. animation, storytelling is a little better. But, you know, mm. I think yeah. it's going to be a second season of this already. I think they're already grinned with a season two, if I'm not mistaken. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, it looks like next week's is going to be um, what if Loki presented himself to the governments of Earth as king of Asgard using all his diplomacy? So that could be an interesting one. Uh, yeah. So we, uh, if you're not, if you had not have enough Loki yet, there's something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So that gets us to forty-four. Do we have any sponsors this week, Travis? Uh, probably. Can I cut the sponsors this week? Um, just due to my lack of uh, my, 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 you know, my need to go and take some more painkillers in the not too distant future will probably. That's um, over, overwhelm like Sorry. Would you like me to do a bit of talking and uh, give your give your mouth a bit of a breather? 
yes, I'll be right back. Okay. So you're going to listen to George so, talk for a second about some gaming, I think. Yes. So this is um, going to talk about Spiritfarer, which is a um, bit of an indie darling at the moment. It's been out on uh, Nintendo Switch as a digital release for a while, um, but it has just received a, um, a limited physical release. And I um, also... Oh, no, it is on... Xbox, of course it's on Xbox, because I'm playing it on Xbox as well. It is on Game Pass, which anyone who has listened to me before, Xbox is the most economic value-for-money console out there. You get the Xbox One S, you get Xbox Live and Game Pass with EA um, Play. You've got so many games for like 20 bucks a month. It's ridiculous. And you are getting new games. Spirit Farer is a new game, and this is a delightful, charming, side-scrolling, uh, resource management, passive game where you it opens up your character who's uh, called Stella, um, and they, and her cat. They're on a boat, and you're talking with this big, ominous presence of Chiron, the ferryman taking souls from the land of the living to the land of the dead, as per ancient Greek and Roman law. And um, Chiron just explains that it is the end of their time and Stella is the new spirit fairer. And you slowly but surely um, are building up a boat and the p purpose of the game is to go around and find people um, animal people, animal spirits, who are on the point of dying, and you give them this beautiful farewell. You go around, you do a few of their tasks, you make them feel loved and cared for, and then eventually when they feel like everything they've done in this world needed to do is done, they can then pass on to the next world, and it is incredibly charming. It is very delightfully passive. It is a very, very nice antidote to everything that's going on in the world at the moment what with covid and lockdowns and everyone feeling isolated this is about someone going out reaching out and one of the things that you need to do to make people feel good is you hug them it's lovely considering we've not been allowed to hug people for a long time just having that as a mechanism in a game it's strangely cathartic and very 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 delightful um, I don't know but I'm guessing it's a Nintendo game. Uh, it's on all platforms. It is on Game Pass. Um, it is there's there's a bit of kind of the artwork is almost like a an alternative version of Spirited Away and the Studio Ghibli kind of style, but done bit bit more through an American lens, um, and particularly the way that the spirits when you first meet the spirits to how they evolve as you kind of make them feel comfortable it is reminiscent of the spirit world side of spirited away. So definitely um, playing into my favorite areas there, but it's just really charming. And I do recommend everyone give it a try, especially if you're on Xbox because you can play it for fucking free with game pass. Um, if you've got it on anything else, it is on Steam, it is on Switch, it is on PlayStation, it is everywhere. And I do recommend it. It's like 50 bucks. It's really, really good. And so give it a try. That's all I'm going to say on that because I'm still only like 15 hours into it. I will do a quick, 
final catch-up on Maneater, which I talked about last week. Um, Echo the Dolphin on PSP, uh, not PSP, PCP. Um, I did a 20-minute live stream of the game last night, and I was just complaining, saying, oh, it's really annoying. You get to level 30, and you can't level up anymore, and then there's these um, sperm whales at level 45, level 55 that you just can't kill. And it's like, and then I just killed them and I've killed everything and I completed the game. And it's like, oh, all right then. Okay. Um, hmm. Hmm. I don't know what to do now. <laughs> so that was a fun game. Apparently I played 200 hours of it, according to the count, which does not sound right. I don't think I've done 200 hours of it, but I don't know. You, maybe what happens sometimes is you get up and you go away and you don't actually exit the game. Maybe you just pause it. Well, maybe. But that, even then, that's still a lot of time. I mean, 220 hours divided by 24. It's nine solid days. That's a lot of time to be a shark. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's fun. It's... Yeah, again, I think it's on um, Game Pass, and if you want dumb fun, why not? Why? I have a game. I have a gaming update for you. A very quick one. Oh, yes. I actually plugged my Xbox in for the first time since I moved in here, um, and yeah. this weekend had a free trial uh, on Game Pass of um, what's it called? Um, the new Left for Dead remake thing. Oh, back for back blood. blood. Back for blood. Um. And you know, I say it's not a remake. It's made, I think, by some of the same people who made the. Left it's like a spiritual game. successor or something. Yeah, so it's like Valve because, as we know, yeah. Valve don't like to make games anymore, and they don't like to do anything with their IP anymore. Um, they made all the money. They don't. They need to stop. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, why would we want more money? Why would we want people to do? I mean, people enjoy more games of you know, IP that we made that they love. Um, so it's been a very long time. Um, it's been a very long time since they did anything Left 4 Dead was. I want to say 10 years plus. Um, Probably. Left 4 Dead 2. Mm. So this game feels very, very familiar. It's just the one the one sort of run through, I think, at this time. It was, it was just in alpha, I think, or sorry, beta. Um, mm-hmm. And But it felt l- enough like the, uh, the uh, Left 4 Dead game for me to jump straight back in. It felt like I'd never left because I felt a lot of Left 4 Dead back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of fun. Um, uh, the guns feel really good. I don't know that I quite like the art style. Um, it feels a little okay. bit more cartoonish than mm-hmm. um, than the original Left 4 Dead, which felt a little bit more realistic. Um, um, right. There's also a card system they've built in to give you like perks and stuff. You can build a deck okay. of cards, and at the end of each, when you get to each safe house, you get to pick a card. Didn't really understand that. Um, so okay. I might laugh at me and go, oh, it's so simple. But I don't usually play games that have that kind of system in place. So maybe if you're used yeah. to that kind of thing, it might be like, okay, yeah, it makes sense easy. But for me, I didn't I didn't get it. Um, and so that kind of thing needed to be much better explained because it wasn't explained at all um, hmm. being a beta. Um, but there's some real potential there. If you liked that said, oh, I'm biased because I love the, the game it's based on. Like I play that game so much, but like, I wonder, while I think it looks good, and I would recommend having a go at it if you like Left 4 Dead, I wonder if there's still much of an audience there for that kind of game. 
Well, it's one of the most talked about games, I think, still. I mean, loads of the, the gaming groups I am part of on um, online, they still bring up Left 4 Dead. I know that it's still a popular one to um, stream on Twitch and things like that. So it does make sense to have just an update kind of pseudo-sequel to it. Um, my question to you, Travis, is would you be willing to sacrifice this game to the trauma of me trying it. This is an online game. Could I, if I killed this, if my curse continues, would you be okay with me killing this game? You didn't kill World War Z. They're still putting updates after that. I only played that for a, like a couple of hours. You played it for longer than a couple of hours. You be, 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 be fair. You played that. You played that for a couple of weeks. I'm off. On and off, yeah. So, hmm. um, okay. but it's it, 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 the the um, the trial's finished, so mm -hmm. you're gonna have to wait have to wait a while uh, until mm -hmm. the actual game comes out proper. I probably imagine um, mm -hmm. before you can uh, you can do anything. Else. The only other thing I would say is I've heard it's a full price game, so I've heard it's you know Australia tax included you know ninety eighty ninety dollar game. Mm -hmm. uh, so I based on what I saw this weekend, while I had fun with it if mm -hmm. it wasn't a game pass i wouldn't bother with it at that price okay i just don't okay. think it, i mean it would want a lot more even if it had everything it left for dead had included in it you know um yeah. the campaign and the multiplayer that's not 80 90 game for me so that's another thing okay. you can into but the thing is that did you ever play left for dead i don't think i did no they are a lot of they are so much more fun playing with friends okay um, playing with playing with randos, yeah. Most multiplayer games, you probably know. Mm. We aren't multiplayer fans, but playing with randos makes them that much worse. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> okay, well, maybe when it releases, we can uh, we could try jumping on and um, and playing, and maybe streaming some, and people can see just how bad at games I am. <laughs> yeah, especially at shooters. Yeah. That'll be can you just imagine if we both played on like Fortnite and somehow we were the last two? We just wouldn't be able to hit each other. <laughs> it would be, it'd be like in um, uh, PUBG or something, right? They'd just feel like we'd just be hiding for an hour. They've <laughs> been going for ages because they've both run out of ammo and there's no more spawning in the game. Attacking him with a frying pan or something. <laughs> <laughs> No, no hitting in the face. No hitting in the face. Hey, that hurts. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was it was it was it was a nice flashback. Um, I wonder if okay. I wonder if, if, if the game they followed up with was a game called Evolve. Uh, I don't know if you remember Evolve. It was a monster hunting game. It was a co-op yes. monster hunting game where you got to be a monster like four on one. Yeah, and that didn't go well. So yeah, we'll see. That was my fault. I played that one. I killed it. <laughs> And so did my ex-wife, who also, um, but she loved it. She, she, yeah, she didn't. Um, yeah, I yeah. played with her for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and that game didn't. That game still in it. Got a lot of dust in this box pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's uh, at least it's not as bad as that that one that came out at the same time as Overwatch that I played. Uh, Bloodborne. Is it Bloodborne? A no, Battleborn. Yes, Bloodborne. Yeah, no, yeah. not Bloodborne. That's a PlayStation 5 game. Battleborn, yes. 
<laughs> that one died almost as soon as it came out. <laughs> it was a, and you, you certainly packed the right horse on that one. Yep. <sighs> I am... No one on it after a week. <laughs> yep. Why does it take so long to play the game? Gearbox also backed the wrong horse on that one too. Yeah, that's true. They they've been making a few bad choices recently. But um, anyway, yeah, Travis, I want to hear your thoughts if you're able on Gunpowder Milkshake. Yeah, so watch this on the weekend. Um, mm-hmm. So for those who aren't familiar with it, it's basically John Wick with a uh, gender bent cast, gender reverse cast. It's basically a female John Wick, um, mm-hmm. and I'm, I might be getting shouted down for saying that. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's kind of what the trailers made it look like. And that's kind yeah. of what it was. Uh, three generations of women fight back against those who take everything from them. Stars okay. Karen Gillan as Sam, who is our protagonist. Lena Headley mm-hmm. as Scarlet, her mother. Uh, we also mm-hmm. have Carla Gugino in there, Michelle Yao. Uh, mm-hmm. Paul Giamatti's in here as well. Um, and essentially, Sam is an assassin. She work, does jobs mm-hmm. for the firm, who are like, mm-hmm. a, you know, giant crime cabal, who her contact mm-hmm. is Paul Giamatti, who gives her jobs. Um, mm-hmm. We see a little bit of Sam's backstory. She is abandoned in a diner by her mother, who was being hunted by other assassins or something. And I was like, oh, I've got to leave you here for some reason. And we don't really ever fully see why. So, you know, Sam kind of has that trauma of having her being abandoned by her mother. And okay. yet has taken up the same occupation of her, as her mother being a being an assassin. Um, okay. For, for a job, she's given a job to retrieve some um, some money from um, someone who has stolen it from the firm, um, and she finds out the person who stole the money has done so because his daughter has been taken hostage by criminals, and okay. the money was to pay, pay her ransom. And because Sam is a nice person who has a conscience, she decides she can't just abandon the kid um, and uh, hence needs to um, uh, take the money and uh, try to retrieve uh, the kid from the kidnappers, which she does. In the process Mm -hmm. of which she loses the money, now the firm's after her, um, and hijinks ensue. Um, With lots of shooting and fairly unconvincing fight scenes. Hmm. Does the trailer kind of made makes it look like John Wick meets Shoot 'em Up? Yeah, there's definitely a Shoot 'em Up vibe to it as well. Yeah, um, it's not that bad though. Um, yeah. uh, it ha- it's very highly stylized. I mean, so the mm-hmm. diner, the dynast where she her mother abandons her, comes back again and again. Um, it's like a regular mm-hmm. horde, but it's like it's a bit like the Intercontinental in John Wick. You know, where mm-hmm. like where it's a truce zone almost, where like there's no guns allowed. Into, yeah, into a diner kind of thing, and uh, it has a very fifties aesthetic. Um, okay. Diner, and in one scene's in the bowling alley, which is a very fifties aesthetic. So, mm-hmm. um, and the uh, there another sort of another sort of facsimile of the Intercontinental is the sort of is a library of um, which is run by the librarians, Carla Gugino. Michelle Yao and Joanna Bobbin, who kind of nicely actually all wear similar outfit colors to the uh, fairy godmothers from the uh, 
Disney Cinderella films. Um, <laughs> um, and the books all have guns in them. Like, oh, you need to read Jane Eyre, and it has a you know a pistol. Okay, and uh, so you're like, yeah, okay, okay, it's all right. It's an interesting idea. I think in the last John Wick film, there was a fight in a, in a library, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly. He he felt someone with a book in that film. Um, it's it's okay. It's just. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a little girl in here as well, a little girl. She does rescue a little girl. So she sort of becomes her surrogate daughter, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have the three generations of women fighting against her. Where I think it falls down for me is a few things. Lena Headley is possibly one of the worst actresses working in the Hollywood sphere, I think, going around. Like, I think everyone on Game of Thrones is a terrible actor. Like, I, I apart from Sean Bean, like, I have never like, you remember that thing we'll do where I'll be like, Who's this guy who's starring in this movie? I've never heard of before. I'm like, oh, he's from Game of Thrones. They're yep. without reception. They are terrible actresses. Amelia Clark, terrible. Lena Headley, terrible. Um, the guy who plays Jon Snow, terrible. Um, they're terrible <laughs> actors. Um, so they're just lucky they landed a good TV show. Peter um, Dinklage, good actor. Dinklage being a notable exception. Um, she also doesn't look old enough to be to be Karen Gillan's mother because she is only like ten years older. So that didn't yeah, work. that was. Like, I'm scratching my head on that one. Yeah. Um. So that was like okay, and you know that was, but the main problem I think is the action. Um, it's not oh. very good. Uh, most of not not all of it's terrible. A couple of scenes huh. you're like, oh, that's an interesting scene. So in one particular scene, Karen Gillan has her arms paralyzed. Um, and has to then go and fight some goons without, you know, the use of her arms, which is done in a fairly interesting and creative way. Mm-hmm. But these goons are also kind of crippled as well because she already beat the shit out of them. So, like, they've got broken legs and they've got, you know, broken arms and are on crutches and shit. So that kind of scene kind of worked. But I just mm. kind of struggle with, like, scenes where you have a woman the size of Karen Gillan who's, you know, well, she's a fine actress. She's a small woman. Um, mm-hmm. and she's beating the shit out of a giant man, you know, mm. you all attack her one at a time. Um, so because they're gentlemen, they're gentlemen. So, <laughs> and like a lot of the fight scenes, this do don't they lack the impact that John Wick had or nobody mm. had? I, I'm not a massive John Wick fan, I like the first two, I didn't like the third one at all. Um, mm. but they both fight scenes feel like they had impact. You know, yeah. like the amount of times, like I, I kind of rate the quality of a John Wick film. The amount of times you go, "Ooh, that looked like it hurt," um, yeah. and there was maybe one or two moments like that in the entirety of Gunpowder Milkshake, um, and very, very few other moments where it just felt like the the combat had impact. Mm. Otherwise, it kind of felt like a video game where the bodies, you're, you know, you're maybe a shooter. Where the bodies of the enemies just disappear as soon as you, you know, they hit the ground. You know, oh, you, don't, you, know, yeah. you kind of don't feel like you're actually accomplishing. You might have just killed a hundred goons, but because their bodies disappear so quickly, the room doesn't look any different. So yeah, it lacked impact for me for the action scenes. So um, uh, I I was disappointed about that. Sorry, I, I, how, how bad of me. Uh, Angela Bassett was one of the um, one of the, 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 the librarians. I forgot her. She was in this, and she's. Wow, it's good to see Angela Bassett again after seeing her in Strange Days. Yeah, yeah she was really good in that, and she's good yeah. in this. Um, so it's it's insubstantial, I guess. 
it is a mm. bit like a milkshake, right? Like, you know, it might taste okay going down, but by the time it's done, you're kind of like, that wasn't very much. You know, probably a, yeah, probably it's a lukewarm milkshake from the Hoyt's La Premiere with one scoop of ice cream and, you know, like uh, a, a lukewarm hot dog on a supermarket roll. You know, it looks good on the menu and you've had good milkshakes and hot dogs before, mm-hmm. but this will not go down as one of them, you know. That's a big shame because I remember the the trailer coming out and they they had a big um, like Instagram kind of pre-release story about the production of this and they were really saying that this was kind of a showcase for action women and really pushing that that um, kind of legacy of like Michelle Yao she's a legend of Asian cinema and Western cinema now as well. She's been in more than enough to, to warrant that, but she's always delivered these fantastic fight sequences in her past movies. Um, Carla Gugino, Lena Headey, they've always had these roles of hard ass women and even Karen Gillan, whilst pretty new on the scene, so to speak, she's generally been, like a fighter, like being Nebula in the MCU. And she's often kind of portrayed as that kind of like wiry fighter. And so having a movie where the action really lets it down and everything else sounds like it's quite paint by numbers, that's very disappointing. Not quite paint by numbers. Like I said, the aesthetic is different. The aesthetic is original and mm. different and interesting. It looks good. It really looks good apart from... Okay. The fight scenes. Um, I don't know if the quality, the good fight coordinators were out to lunch that week, uh, mm. or, or I, they just the stars here couldn't adapt to when. I mean, I, I don't know. You know, there for example, Michelle Yao wasn't given a lot of combat to do. Oh, she was given some, but not a lot of hand to hand combat. The kind of thing she's famous for is you sort of you know you think Michelle Yao, you think Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. You know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for example, or she was in the James Bond film, I think, from memory. Um, yeah. So, but she had, a, she had a lot of her combat was with firearms in, in this film. It seemed to be more mm. of a firearms combat related one a lot of the time. And you're like, okay, but most of the rest of the cast didn't seem as comfortable with it as you you might expect. I mean, for a film that was hyping itself as the you know, action women, you know, like um, they're all fine. They do as well. I think they all do the best they can with the. The content, mm. um, and it's not by no means am I saying this is bad. It's fine. It's fine. Mm. You know, it's the kind of film you watch in an airplane and probably be distracted for you know what is it an hour and a half, two hours, um, mm. hour fifty four. It's too long. Need a twenty minutes sliced out of it as usual. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, and when you would get off a plane and you would never remember it again, you'd be you'd be in a video store, mm. you'd be on the video store, you'd be on Netflix a year later, and you'd be like, "Huh, have you guys saw that film once?" Yeah, and um, yeah, it was. Uh, it just didn't live up to. It was not equal to the sum of its parts. Uh, mm. it, it just honestly, in the end, it felt like a lazy. Hackneyed ripoff of I'm saying it's not bad, but it felt like a lazy hackneyed ripoff of significantly better action films. Now, um, mm. there are people I know, people like people who watch this film with, who I shall not mention, his name rhymes with Rochelle. Um, 
who might say, you know, that you know, mediocre film. We should we need to let women make more mediocre films to sort of really start to give these people an opportunity to make these type of films. You should note this is written and directed by men, but stars women. Um, I, I I don't know. I feel like there's a better material. I, I go back again to it. I know it's like uh, she will say that, but women deserve to make uh, mediocre films so people get used to seeing them in these type of roles. And that women get experience uh, in doing these type of roles. And young girls can go to the movies, or in this case, turn on Netflix, mm-hmm. and get used to seeing women being ass kickers like this. Um, mm-hmm. And to that, I will continue to say, yes, I agree with that. But they deserve better material than this. They deserve better yes. material than ripped off John Wick clones. Um, someone out there could come up with something original. I mean, I guess it's harder to make something original if you can go to the executives go it's like john wick but it's got women in it you know um uh it'll be just like ghostbusters except good um (laughs) um i don't know but like i I would i know i would prefer to see something original and maybe something original would be more compelling than than this yeah no i think that's i think that's very fair um because yes it is very important to um to allow um, the marginalised um, sexes, genders, all of that, to actually get out there and be seen by more people, that doesn't mean that they should have to do it just to get that out there. It should be, well, if we're going to do it, let's do it well. Let's really get something good. Let's push it as far as we possibly can. And... Um, I think that there are a lot of movies coming out where it's just incidental rather than let's let's actually make make something worthwhile. Um, but it's always nice to see. Like I'm I'm a fan of Karen Gillan. I love seeing her and stuff. I think she's a great actress. I think she's um, got a lot of potential, um, and it's good to see her in action roles. But I feel like from the way that you've kind of sold this kind of sounds like the action stuff that she does in guardians of the galaxy is better yeah and it, so it does, if any felt like, obviously she again she doesn't i mean it's good to see karen Gillan because she's as nebula doesn't get you know the epic kind of screen time that um mm. even uh any of the other characters do really she is a fairly minor character um mm. and she doesn't really get to show what she can do so it is nice to see karen Gillen do get an entire film to herself to show us what she can do. Um, and as I said, mm. I think she did the best she could with the material. This is not a knock on Karen Gillen at mm. all. The only knock here is on Lena Headley, who's a terrible actress. Um, <laughs> um, but I just think it was a, it felt like a lazy retread of something that's been done significantly better elsewhere. So, mm. um, you know, despite the fact that, you know, maybe it's good, it's a good thing to see, yeah, mediocre, schlocky action films coming out with women in them. I'm still going to say, as mediocre, schlocky action films go, this is particularly mediocre. This mm. is the uh, this is the toast sandwich of um, of uh, the John Wick clones. You know, <laughs> toast sandwich. That look it up. Wow. It's a, look it up. I didn't make that up. It's a thing. And yet again, it comes from Great Britain. Um, <laughs> Yet another, I, 
I have distanced myself a lot from Great Britain. Thank you very much. And I'm proud of the fact that I don't know about English culture. Colonialism, cricket, and a toast sandwich. That's what we got. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that, really. <laughs> That's about it, really. That's about all <laughs> I had to offer the world. Colonialism, <laughs> cricket, and the toast mm. sandwich. But it's not like a, yeah. I believe Gunpowder Milkshake's available on Netflix overseas. Um, okay. I think it's a Netflix film. Uh, it is definitely a Netflix film because it had their, their shit at the start. In yeah. Australia, uh, it is showing at cinemas if you are lucky enough to live mm-hmm. in a place where you're allowed to go to the cinema. Mm-hmm. I would just like to say there is one movie of Lena Headley's that we both like, and that was Dread. I liked her, I liked fighting for my fighting with my family, but not because she was in it. That's fair. <laughs> it, is, it, is, it is a it is an aside the fact she was in a film i like does not mean she's any good that's <laughs> yeah someone's gonna come back to me last week and go well actually travis in episode 121 you said you liked this film and you know well, like anyone know. knows that much lore of our show there's probably <laughs> a wikipedia out there about shit you know um you know, wait for the, the entry for smells like an oily rag we haven't heard that one for a while Ooh, yeah um but it, I, it, people should go out and make a Wikipedia for armchair producers. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think we get a Wikipedia page set it because I don't know we're notable enough, but we can try. Hey, we are quality white noise. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to go on a t-shirt. The, the cancel. <laughs> we sure God couldn't cancel and quality white noise. There you go. Although um, quality white noise does just still sound racist. White noise is a thing, like, though, so I think it's okay. Yeah, but I don't know if anyone would want to walk around with quality, quality white noise white. written on their T-shirt. <laughs> Maybe. I, I mean, white noise is it's, it's like, um, you know, like you use white bread for a toast sandwich. I mean, you know, I think it's okay to use the word white as descriptive uh, word. <laughs> That's not particularly necessarily a racist thing. Um, That's fair. That's I think. fair. Can you tell us, tell us we're wrong, people? Um, yes. If you disagree. All right. Now, did you want to talk about Wild Tales or should we save that? Because I'm, wanna... I'm, I'm on a go. I'm on a roll, I should say, because I've got um, my, my mouth is still just being a bitch. But um, um, but I will try and cover Wild Tales quickly for people. And you, know, you had a, a manga or something you wanted to talk about potentially. Yes. That is Japanese. Um, yes. Wild Tales is a 2014. Argentinian Spanish co-production, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the original title is Relatos Salvajes. Uh, and again, I'm going to get pulled up by people who I know who know Spanish a lot better than me about why I pronounce how I pronounce Relatos Salvajes probably incorrectly. But anyway, um, six short stories that explore the extremities of human behavior involving people in distress. Okay. This is the most unusually sort of um, structured film. Um, it is, as I said, uh, Argentinian. It be probably in terms of stars, you're not going to know many of them. Um, it is produced by Pedro Almodovar. Um, if you are any kind of cinema fan, you probably know who Pedro is. Um, he is a Spanish filmmaker. Big fan of um, Antonio Banderas. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the skin I live in, talk to her. Um, oh, that's where I know it. Yeah, 
He's a very, very, very all about my mother, mm-hmm. uh, a very, very well-known um, filmmaker, um, European filmmaker. I don't think he's actually ever no. worked in Hollywood. Mostly does Spanish language work, I believe. But kind mm. of a big name. In terms of stars, you're not going to know any unless you are a regular listener to the show and you will be familiar with my growing obsession with Ricardo Darín. Um uh, the um, who was in, uh, of course, um, a couple of movies, uh, Heroic Fool, or was it Love Heroic? <laughs> I uh, remember the, Heroic Fools. Um, I can't remember the name. It was a, a couple of the films we've seen lately, and of course, Nine Queens, which was remade in the US as Criminal. Uh, he was yes. in the original Argentinian film, Ricardo Day in the um, the Argentinian George Clooney, um. Uh, Heroic Losers was the film I was thinking yes. of, by the way. Um, and so is it, the unusual structure of a film is that sort of hints at that these short, six short films smooshed into one. Um, okay. And you do not see, and they are completely unrelated, by the way. This is not like, um, you know. Four rooms. Uh, four rooms or, or anything like any of those sort of 90s films, like where they try to connect them together, you know, with some sort of, you know, uh, connecting device like Tim Roth's wow. uh, you know, bellhop in that film, they are completely separate stories. Um, okay. Uh, and I can't remember that ever happening. Well, not very often. I mean, the only one I can think of is really the Twilight Zone movie, and that's a very long time ago now. And, you know, yeah. don't, men- don't mention the war about that one. Um, you don't know what happened during the production of that film. I Google it. Um, and if I, if I, I've been listening to a lot of, um, 83 Weeks, but with um, Eric Bischoff. I don't know if you ever listened to that podcast. No. I think you'd enjoy it. Uh, it's a wrestling podcast, but um, Eric is uh, fond of saying, Google the internet. Um, and so I'm probably going to uh, let that one out because I think it's going to be Google the internet. Um, but Google uh, what happens in um, the Twilight Zone film. So um, the film is divided into six segments. Parsonuck. While being on a plane, a model and a music critic realize they have a common acquaintance called Parsonuck. Soon to discover that every passenger and crew member on board knows Pasternak. Is this a coincidence? Two, the rats. A waitress recognizes her client. It's a loan shark who caused a tragedy in her family. The cook suggests mixing rat poison with his food, but the waitress refuses. The stubborn cook, however, decides to proceed with her plan. Three, the strongest. Two drivers on a lone highway have an argument with tragic consequences. Four, little bomb. A demolition engineer has his car towed by a truck for parking in the wrong place, and he has an argument with the employee of a towing company. This event destroys his private and professional life, and he plots revenge against the corrupt towing company and City Hall. Five, a proposal. A reckless son of a wealthy family has an overnight hit-and-run accident in which a pregnant woman gets killed. He wakes his parents up, and the father calls a lawyer. The parents propose to pay the groundkeeper to take the blame for the boy. Soon, the father discovers that he is the victim of an extortion of his lawyer and the public prosecutor in charge of the investigation. What will be his decision? And six, I think six is the strongest segment, until death do us part. During the wedding party, the bride discovers that her newlywed husband has been cheating on her with one of her guests, and she decides to pay him back. Okay. This is all in one film that goes for two hours and two minutes. So it is packed. It's almost like, wow. um, you know, it actually did kind of remind me a little bit of The Twilight Zone in a sense because it had that anthology feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. And I found myself thinking a few times, this probably should. They should go and get this guy. The uh, the writer is uh, a guy named the director Damien Zifron, 
and German Sevillo. Um, Damien Sifron was the main creative force. If you forget about mm-hmm. Jordan Peele and go and get this guy, um, mm-hmm. because each of these stories, while some were stronger than others, all of them were more disturbing, more fun, more entertaining, and much more watchable than anything the new season of the new season of Twilight Zone came up with whenever that came out was the last year or the year before. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's also kind of has a vague, like, mirrory feel to it again, that anthology vibe <laughs> to it, um, though it does not necessarily deal with technology as being the, um, I guess, the aggregating factor. The aggregating factor here is it sort of notes is that people in distress or in extreme situations and how they react in those situations and how reacting the way they do can escalate that situation, shall we say, or take it in a direction unintended with unintended consequences. Um, <laughs> uh, and sometimes where that situation ends up can be, it can be kind of beautiful in a way, or mm-hmm. it can be deeply disturbing. Um, but um, it's definitely worth watching the trip. Now, um, I re- loved this film. We both, my, I watched this with Michelle on a Saturday. Because yes, um, she trans, she's my translator. Um, <laughs> give me context sometimes about what's going on in in the Argentinian films, and go, what the fuck is that? Um, but it's uh, actually not just me saying it because I'm I'm dating someone who's from Argentina. This is actually in the IMDb top two fifty. This is number one eighty two in the IMDb top fifty. It was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, I think for best foreign language film uh, in 2015, it has an 8.1, <laughs> a 77 meta score. Um, unfortunately, finding a copy with, an, with an English subtitles without buying a shiny plastic disc was a, an uphill battle. Ah, that perpetual problem that we have. Um, so I think it's available to stream potentially on your your primes and your bloody Amazons. And I think maybe it's available to rent a few places, but um, I, I don't want to spoil any more of the stories and what that synopsis gave away. Other than to say that like it's, it, they even within a segment that may only go for 25 minutes, half an hour, there can be plenty of twists and turns to keep you guessing and keep you completely on the edge of your seat about what's going to happen next. Okay. Um, it can, it's not all serious. It can be funny as well uh, at the same time. It can be both at the same time, which is really hard to do. So it can be funny and serious and tense all within the space of 30 seconds. Um, and mm. I think it's an absolute masterwork. Um, and, and I mean, again, it's not something – I don't think this is one of those films you're going to see remade in the West because we don't do anthology films anymore. Um, very, yeah. very rare to see that. And, you know um, – it, it was really, really fun. I, I this is, um, the director has gone on to be doing some stuff in Hollywood. His next film is a Hollywood mm-hmm. production starring Shailene Woodley and Ben Mendelsohn. I haven't seen okay. it, obviously, but I am going to predict using my incredible psychic powers. Yes, if the spirits are talking to me, Ben Mendelsohn's going to be the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, That's a crazy thought. Crazy, interesting. It's called Misanthrope, and he wrote it. So, um, cool. I am excited about that because I think this guy can flat out. He can. He's a really, really interesting director too. He, the, the story behind this film is he came up. He wrote the story. He wrote the script in his bath, 
and he wrote it this way because he had all these ideas he wanted to turn into films, but he didn't think he could ever get turned into films. So he smushed them all together and got it turned into a film. So what a great story that is. I like that. He MacGyvered a movie. Pretty much. <laughs> um, and like, I can't recommend it strongly enough. If you have, if you have access okay. to it on a streaming service, if you can rent it. But it, it, I know it's in Spanish. If you don't like subtitles, but I, um, you know, I, I think it's worth doing all the reading. In other words, get cultured. <laughs> yeah, this is. I, I would hesitate to call this a cultured film because we're dealing with some pretty base situations here. Um, I'm just know, referring to learning another language. <laughs> oh, well, uh, you are doing that currently, so I um uh, I can't I can't criticize people who uh, well, I certainly didn't have any like to stand on that front. But I did once try to learn Russian, and all I learned how to say was I am not a Russian girl, which is technically <laughs> true. Do you give me some funny looks? <laughs> <laughs> why was that the phrase that you learned ah see um i didn't mean to learn that phrase um uh, <laughs> R- russian is one of those languages that uses gendered nouns yes uh, which we don't do in in in, in australia obviously if, you were, if someone were to say i'm not russian they would say i am not russian right or, i'm not american yeah. Um, and given I went there in 2003, um, the Americans had just invaded Iraq, you know, they weren't mm. really top of the pops, mm. that neck of the woods, or any neck of the woods for that matter, apart from America. So mm-hmm. I felt like, plus also, as a kind of country when you're visiting, you, you probably don't want to be mistaken for an American, because if you're an American, you've got money, and you're worth robbing. Um, and... Um, and yeah, they probably wouldn't think twice about it if they, if they knew an American, but I thought they might think twice about it if they knew I was an Australian. Um, so <laughs> I, um, I, my first thing I wanted to learn was I'm not American. Just because I, I'm white and I speak English does not make me an American. Um, but because I use a gendered noun, they put the A at the end. So you, um, Americana, Americanka, I think it was. It was like basically the, the, word, the word for American I was using was the the female version of the word. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me. Fair enough. Fair enough. It's an completely unnecessary story that no one wanted to hear. I did. I asked and I got my reward. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just going to talk a little bit about Roruni Keshin, the beginning. On it's a live action adaptation of a manga, um, and there are actually like five of uh, five of these live action movies, and this is the last one. But it's the prequel, so it happens before everything else. So it's well, I'm already confused, and so should everyone else be. But it's um, in the year 1864. Samurai Kenshin was un, uh, was known as the Bato Sai a deadly assassin whose fierce swordsmanship has killed over 100 men in one year. When he saves a young woman, Tome, from, being, uh, from some thugs at an inn, the two slowly begin to uh, an attraction that leads to marriage. This leads Kenshin to potentially give up his sword for the sake of love. However, those who are in support of the Shogugate um, will not let Kenshin off too easy. The story of how Kenshin receives his trademark star-shaped scar is revealed in this prequel, 
which also serves as the final installment to the live-action franchise adaptation of the manga and anime. So there's a lot of baggage going into this. And unfortunately, whilst the final and the prequel movies are available on Netflix, the other ones are not. So, and it's not exactly the easiest one to get because you have to... Um, either rent them from Apple or have a premium subscription to Funimation. And those are services that I'm just not going to spend money on when I'm dipping my toe in. Um, but what I will say about this movie is um, it's really beautiful, beautifully filmed. And the director is uh, Keisha Otomo who probably don't know any of their work, is, seems to have been the director of note for this whole series. Um, and it doesn't look like anything else has uh, kind of particularly broken it through to the West, just looking at his, um, his back catalogue. Um, the actors in it, guy who plays the main character... Does not seem to be listed. That's weird. You'd think that the main character is the first person on the listing, but well, that's just exactly what you'd expect them to do. Yeah, but no. Um, so I won't talk about him right now. Um, the uh, the lovely lady who plays um, his the love attraction Tome is Kasumi Amimura, and I feel like I've seen her in stuff. Uh, Oh, there was a, a Japanese movie, Flying Colors, uh, from 2015 that she was in. So that's probably where I uh, recognize her from. But again, this definitely seems to be a um, homegrown movie of all Japanese talent that doesn't seem to have really expanded beyond the, the Japanese borders at this stage. But I will say that the performances are actually really good and the action sequences are really good. This is... It, it plays that there's, it feels like there's two schools of samurai movie. Ones that are kind of like in the vein of Zatoichi where they are absolutely historically accurate to this, to the fighting style of the samurai. And it's all about kind of the that one slice, that one perfect hit to take down your opponent rather than the ching, 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 and all that stuff. Because that would actually blunt a samurai sword and it would be useless anyway. So it was all about that one strike versus the much more kind of westernized attitude and, and manga style of sword fighting and samurai representation, where it is a lot more of those kind of quick moves and slides in and those undefeatable um, positions and maneuvers and things like that. It, it balances nicely between that. There's subtle examples of it um, where um, uh, Kenshin is informed that there's going to be a raid on the people that he works for is based by the, by the police. And he just starts kind of, hello, Archimedes. Um, at, last, starts, at last. Oh, he's been there for a while. but G'day, Archimedes, <laughs> the, uh, our, our longtime co-host. Long-time co-host and legal representation of the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Kenshin starts running down these streets and he it's very traditional. Um, 
sort of like everything is period perfect, or at least from a layman's point of view, everything looks, you know, accurate. The the costumes are beautiful. The the design of, sort of like top knots and the the um, pulled back, purposely shaved um, foreheads and things like that. And he starts running, but then um, he does a quick turn to the right, and he does this anime style sort of like slide three point turn slide, and it just looks really fucking cool. But it still fits with the more kind of historically accurate representation of the world that they're in. And the fight sequences are really good. They're bloody. There's a lot of blood being thrown around. Um, but again, it's skirting line. It It's definitely not the way that a samurai, based on the history of how a samurai would operate, how they would operate, it is the manga and anime representation of that and going more bombastic, but it still airs on the side of, it's still believable. The opening um, fight sequence in particular, um, Kenshin has been bound, his hands behind him and he's on his knees and um, he managed to fight, it fights his way free and everything that he does, kind of in the opposite of what you were saying about gunpowder milkshake, Every hit, every movement feels real and raw and tough, but it looks so stylishly beautiful. It's really a joy to behold. Um, the story itself, as I mean, it's, it's an origin story, so that I feel like origin stories always have this kind of feel to them of um, inescapable destiny, which makes sense on a narrative standpoint, but even me coming into this, this is my first experience with the franchise. I still kind of feel like, yeah, I know how everything's going to be. I know that that person's going to betray them. I know that that's going to happen. And it's not just my weird superpower. It just but the, the they are story. Very same, yeah. right? They can be a little bit similar. They can be very tropey. Yeah. And, and the, the movie kind of telegraphs a lot of the revelations far too early rather than giving there's no sense of mystery to any of the roles as they are laid out. Um, but if you like better quality live action adaptations of manga and anime, and they aren't very common, those live action, for some reason, those live action ones never quite pull it together as much as the manga and anime. Don't moan. Stop it. I'll take you out in a bit. He's just sitting there just going, ready to howl. <laughs> He's a demanding legal representative. He is. Look at him. Butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. But the thing is, it would, ladies and gentlemen. He ate an entire tub of it when he was a kid and threw up bright I yellow. I do recall that happening, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, was it the first one or the last time he stole a bunch of food that wasn't for him? He did that earlier um, this week. He ate a week's worth of treats in one afternoon. Why wouldn't he? And yet he is a is a highly priced legal representative um, of the canine variety. He, you know, <laughs> the thing is, he got the cat to do the actual burglary because his treats were in a box on the table, and the cat knocked them out, and then he just gorged himself, and the cat just Yoink. looked. What? <laughs> yeah, uh, the old I didn't do it. You know, you saw me. You can't prove anything. Approach. Mm -hmm. 
Stop showing um, me your hillbilly tooth. I, I feel like maybe we, we, we've reached the zenith of our conversation yeah. about uh, live-action manga um, uh, conversions, considering we're now talking about the dog and him stealing <laughs> treats, which is a fairly standard thing for dogs. It's true. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I do recommend it overall. It's If you want to experiment with a very beautiful, good action orientated, if predictable storyline Japanese movie, then go for it. The, um, the English dub is pretty good, but the subtitles are better and the Japanese audio is just, it just feels more orga organic and just, it's more enjoyable to, to take that in from my point of view. I can't do it. I can't watch the dubs because their mouth doesn't match what they're saying. And I can tell, well, and it'd be a slight, even the really good ones, it's a slight delay what they're saying in their mouth. And you're like, no, I'm sorry, it completely breaks the, the immersion for me. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. And I have had to switch to listening to a lot of English dubs just because otherwise I find that I'm forgetting a lot of the Vietnamese that I'm learning. <laughs> it just kind of pushes one language out. I can only hold two languages in my brain at once. That's racist. <laughs> no, that's just me showing how oh, yeah. inept my brain is. <laughs> I think it's, um, it's, it's easy to do. I remember when I was learning Russian, um, the uh, Cyrillic, Russian Cyrillic looks fairly similar. In some, if you quick look, it's quite similar to Greek because they use Cyrillic mm. as well. And so sometimes I'd find myself reading Greek thinking, why can't I read this? <laughs> you don't speak Greek. <laughs> Don't even speak pig Latin, damn it. I <laughs> uh, do not. I, I speak English and bad English, and that's it. Gonna... You speak English, bad English, Australian, Canadian, American. Uh, Canadian is just the same, it's just the same as Australian, but you put A at the end, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But it's, it's another language, damn it. I'm from Canada, and they think I'm slow, eh? Um... <laughs> That's racist. Um, <laughs> much like, don't make me run. I'm full of chocolate. <laughs> oh, dear. How did the Simpsons ever? Wouldn't get away with today. I mean, obviously, you can't. They don't have um, Kazaria yeah. doing a poo anymore because that's racist. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it was a different time, damn it. Yep. It was a different time. But on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to wrap up a little early today. But um, honestly, are you missing much? Mm, really, really, um, really. I um, yeah. I'd like to thank uh, our regular listener for one listener we mm -hmm. have, uh, Carrie Kitty, who reached out last week and uh, yes. explained to me that uh, creme brulee uh, French toast apparently exists, and I okay. have not been informed of this before now. <laughs> um, that's an oversight <laughs> and a half. Um, and uh, yeah, and. Um, we should back our Instagram up on the Facebook page or something because um very talented artist. It's uh, very yes, exciting to have yes, um, other artists of note mm -hmm. following and listening into our little podcast. Yeah. But thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. This has been episode 123 of Armchair Producers. We talked about our um, chain movie of the week, Code 46. Travis is spoilingly rotten and chastising me in the same turn with we're following on chain movie with her and he's going to pick 
a punishment movie for me for changing the chain movie, which I guess is fair. I'm so willing to take punishments. This is why I'm the only thing I identify as an Englishman because I'm apologizing all the time and I identify as Canadian. So I'm never going to not apologize. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, I, I did notice actually this week that um, I found a way to link back from, um, from Code 46 to Bright Young Things the last time you had to get punished for Stephen Fry film. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> I thought, now, that'd be a nice little loop back. Remember, we got to watch Bright Young Things again. Maybe you'll get away through no. it this time. <laughs> I will make you watch Grease. I've done that <laughs> once. Thank you very much. No. Yeah, we'll do it again. <laughs> Grease 2 maybe would be the bigger threat right now. Mm, I'm not willing to do that to myself. <laughs> um, anyway, we, uh, we talked about episode one and two of What If, Marvel's new show. Um, then Travis talked about what, uh, Gunpowder Milkshake and Wild Tales, whilst I talked about Rorunu Keshin, The Beginning. And that was our show for this week. Thank you so much for joining. Please remember to like, share, subscribe us on all the channels. Um, Twitch.tv slash the fried brain, um, youtube.com slash armchair producers, uh, facebook.com slash fried brain productions. We're all over those things, and we're on Twitter as well at uh, the fried brain at evil trav. We'd love to hear from you if you have recommendations for movies or any games that you want us to play or anything like that, because I now have the streaming capabilities, I just don't have very good internet. So, on that note, thank you so much. Good night.